Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me here today. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well. And you're not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are discussing the horrifying case of Sydney Loof. Now, this is actually a case that has been highly requested by you guys for years at this point. We've been doing Killer Instinct, and now we are finally getting around to do so. And I do want to mention, because I do get a lot of questions regarding where you guys can submit your case requests. Now, the best and easiest way to do that is one of two places. The first is on the Killer Instinct Instagram. If you just go to Killer Instinct Podcast, you'll be able to DM me there, and I will be able to see it directly. Or you can send an email at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. So this might be a case that you're familiar with, but regardless, we are going to jump right on into it today. Sydney Loof was born on August 21st, 1993. So her birthday is actually coming up and she would have been turning 29 years old this year. She was born in Broken Bow, Nebraska to her parents, George and Susie, and Sydney was raised in a very small town growing up called Arcadia, Nebraska, which has a population of about 300 people. Now, as far as her interests go, Sydney was extremely athletic. She played basketball and golf in school, and she was also really great at fishing, and she loved doing anything active. However, unfortunately, the athletics had to take a back seat when Sydney was a teenager because she got diagnosed with scoliosis. Now, Sydney attended Nellie Oakdale High School and ended up graduating in 2011, and her dad, George, was actually the principal of the school while Sydney was attending. For the last two years of her life, Sydney was working as an employee at a hardware store, and it was said by her boss that Sydney was very dedicated to her work. She was always willing to help out others and was always on time. Now, for all things considered, Sydney was living a relatively normal life. However, similarly to a lot of people, Sydney definitely struggled with anxiety and depression. In fact, just one week before her disappearance, she had told her parents that she was thinking about checking herself in to a mental health facility because she believed that that might be the best option for her. However, instead, she ended up just going home and spending time with her family that entire week and really just got some good quality time in with them. And it was during her stay with her family that her mom and dad also took Sydney to the doctor and got her a new prescription for antidepressants. So if you can't tell already, Sydney is very close with her family. She had a great relationship with both her mother and her father and her siblings. Now, while we don't know what the exact prescription Sydney was on was, what we do know is that just in the couple days following her taking the prescription, it was said that she seemed in a lot better of a mood, she seemed a lot happier, and her employees said that she seemed happier than she's been in a long time. Now, at the time of her disappearance, Sydney was living by herself in a duplex in Lincoln, Nebraska. 
More specifically, she was living on Colfax Avenue, and she had been living there since 2014. Sydney had a cat named Mimsy, who she loved and adored, and that was her life at the time. She had friends, like I said, she was incredibly close to her family, and she liked being in the same state as them because it meant that she could visit them as much as she wanted. So she has her family, she has her friends, she has her job, but one sector in Sydney's life that was not fulfilled at that point was her romance life. Now, similar to a lot of 24-year-old singles, Sydney was in the dating app world, and more specifically, we know that she was on Tinder. Now, Sydney had been on the app for a while, and after spending some time swiping left and swiping right, she ended up matching with a woman named Audrey Kane. The two of them matched on November 11th, 2017, and after that, the two of them began conversing with the traditional getting-to-know-you small-talk conversations. The conversation continued over the next two days, and on November 13th, they began talking about their first date. So they match on the 11th, then the 13th, they're starting to plan their date, which they were scheduling for the following day, November 14th. Now, Audrey proposed the idea that for the first date, they keep things relatively chill. She said that she could meet Sydney in Lincoln and that the two of them could just drive around in her car and smoke some weed together. Sydney liked to smoke herself, and even in the conversations that she was having with Audrey, she mentioned how she hadn't smoked in six days because she was trying to quit. However, she also told Audrey that she wasn't going to pass up the opportunity of smoking with a gorgeous girl like Audrey. So that was their plan, and Sydney was very excited. And like I said, the first date was planned for November 14th, and Sydney made sure to ask Audrey that they were going to be the only two people on the date together. Personally, I found this very interesting because I don't think that I've ever heard of anyone, you know, having to confirm that it's only going to be the two of them on the date and that there wouldn't be anyone else. So I'm not sure if that was for safety reasons or anything, but it's very interesting that Sydney asked that when you see how the rest of this case unfolds. But Audrey made sure to confirm to Sydney that it was just going to be the two of them. Now, the following morning, Audrey and Sydney messaged back and forth just with some, you know, how is your day going, small talk type of messages. And then Audrey went to Sydney's house and picked her up at around 6 p.m. Now, Sydney did tell her friends that she was going on a date, which side note, if you're ever going on a date with someone that you've never met, please make sure that someone is aware. But Sydney did the right thing in telling her friends that she was going on a date with this woman named Audrey. The two of them drove around Lincoln together and smoked for a couple hours before ultimately Audrey dropped Sydney back off at home. Now, when she dropped Sydney back off, the two of them made plans for a second date. This second date was planned for November 15th, so again, just the following day, and Sydney was really, really excited about it. When she got home, she started messaging some of her friends that knew she was going on the date and said that she, again, was just very optimistic about the situation and had a really good feeling about Audrey. However, what Sydney didn't know is that the person that she thought she was on a date with was actually not 
who they said they were. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Audrey Kane, the woman who Sydney had gone out with that night, was actually not a real person. That was not her name. Audrey Kane, who is the woman that Sydney went out with that night, her real name is Bailey Boswell. She's been using Audrey Kane as an alias, and she has something much more sinister than a wholesome second date planned for the following day. Now, Sydney's day on the 15th started out like any other normal day for her. Now, I am going to continue referring to Audrey as Bailey, considering that that is her real name, just so there is no confusion. However, just know that Sydney never knew Bailey's real name. So Sydney goes to work on the 15th, she comes home, she hangs out with her cat a little bit, and then she gets ready for her date, which is set to start at around 7 p.m. Sydney had even taken a picture on Snapchat right before she left that was a selfie and it said, ready for my date with the hard eye emoji that she had sent out to two of her friends. Now, Bailey picked up Sydney around 7 p.m. on the 15th, and at this time, phone records show that the two of them traveled to an apartment that Bailey had rented in Wilbur, Nebraska. So if we look at Sydney's phone records, it shows that she did travel to Wilbur before her phone was ultimately shut off at 8.32 p.m. So now we move on to November 16th, the following day, and Sydney does not show up for work. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Sydney was a very timely person. She was always on time to work. She was very dedicated when it came to her job. So it was a surprise to everyone there when she simply just didn't show up. Sydney did have a track record of sometimes calling out of work. However, she always called out. She never just simply didn't show up. Now, Sydney's mom was also texting her throughout the day on the 16th, but she wasn't getting an answer. Now, Sydney's mother actually did not know that she had gone on a date the night prior, so she was unaware of what had happened. So for her, it wasn't super concerning at the time that she hadn't heard from her daughter. She just simply thought, maybe she's working, she's going to get back to me because she always did. Sydney always made sure to get back to her mother. However, after going the entire day and still not hearing from Sydney, her mother decided to send over the police department to Sydney's house to do a welfare check. Now, when police got to Sydney's home, they realized very quickly that she was not 
there. However, what was there was Sydney's car, her purse, her eyeglasses, and her cat, Mimsy. Now, Sydney's family knew automatically that something had to be wrong because, first of all, Sydney would never leave anywhere without her purse or her car, and she also would never leave behind Mimsy. So they knew that something was definitely wrong. However, when police looked around the apartment, they realized pretty quickly that everything seemed to be intact. There was no sign of forced entry, no sign of a break-in, no sign of a struggle. So it really did look like Sydney had just vanished. So a missing persons report for Sydney was filed. And when the investigation started, police began looking at phone records for Sydney. And that is when they learned that Sydney's phone last pinged at an apartment duplex in Wilbur, which was the same apartment that Bailey had been renting. So police decide to go over to that specific apartment. And when they arrive, they quickly learn that no one was home. However, luckily the landlord was actually in the area and the landlord was able to open the door and the landlord was also able to inform police about who was renting the apartment. The landlord told police that Bailey Boswell as well as her boyfriend were renting this apartment. So this is when police are really first introduced to the names Bailey Boswell and her boyfriend, Aubrey Trail. So the landlord was able to open up the door to the apartment and when police walk in, they are smacked in the face with the pungent smell of bleach. The bleach was actually so, the smell was actually so overwhelming that the landlord began throwing up. So now all police really know is that they have a missing girl, Sydney Loof. They also have her phone being last pinged at an apartment that is now covered with the smell of bleach. And they also know that the people renting the apartment are Bailey Boswell and Aubrey Trail. Now, who are Bailey and Aubrey is what you might be asking now. Let's talk about that before we move any further. Bailey Marie Boswell was born and raised in Leon, Iowa. Now, sadly, Bailey's father was murdered when she was a baby. However, throughout her younger years, she excelled in school, in athletics, especially basketball, similar to Sydney. She was offered a scholarship to play college basketball. However, she ended up getting really involved in drugs after high school, so she never ended up playing. Now, Bailey's first marriage was to a man named Freddie Panel, and she had a daughter with him. However, the relationship was extremely abusive, and Bailey ended up leaving him and moving to Princeton, Iowa. Now, when she moved to Princeton, she decided to get on a website called Backpage. Now, if you are familiar with Backpage, it is basically a Craigslist-like website where people will go on and offer any type of service under the sun. However, Bailey in particular was on there looking for a sugar daddy. That is how she met Aubrey Trail. Aubrey had a rough childhood and was constantly being abused by his parents, 
or his stepfather, and he also grew up in and out of the foster care system. His rap sheet started when he was a teenager, and he was arrested for armed robbery. Now, when Bailey and Aubrey met, they completely hit it off, and there is a big age gap between the two of them. In 2017, Bailey was 26 years old, and Aubrey was 52. Now, Bailey and Aubrey's relationship, while it was a sugar daddy type of relationship, Aubrey was paying for Bailey's expenses, they also had a very dominant and submissive type of relationship where Aubrey was the dominant one and Bailey was the submissive one. Now, throughout some conversations that they had, Bailey and Aubrey decided that they wanted to expand on their relationship and they wanted to bring some more people into their relationship. They didn't necessarily describe it as being polyamorous or being in an open relationship, but just that they wanted to add some more people into it, specifically women. So now let's get back to the investigation. Now, before Sydney had gone missing, and while she was just in communication with Bailey, who again, she still thought was Audrey at this point, Sydney ended up sending her friend Bailey's phone number, which is also really scary when you think about this case, because a lot of times you think that if you're just, if you're the most careful, then what can really happen? You know, you're telling your friends where you are, you're meeting in a public space, you're giving them all of the information, but this case goes to show that no matter how careful you are, these horrifying experiences can still happen. So while Bailey and Sydney were still talking, before their first date, Sydney sent her friend Brooklyn McChrystal Bailey's phone number. Now, once Brooklyn had heard that Sydney had gone missing, she had ended up giving police the phone number that Sydney gave her. Now, when police tried to call that phone number and try and trace it, they learned very quickly that that number was fake. The number that was given to Brooklyn was one of those texting app numbers that you can recreate when downloading an app, so it wasn't actually Bailey's phone number. However, police actually were able to figure out what Bailey's phone number was because they got in contact with that specific app that Bailey had been using, the texting app, and asked them to trace the number that was registered with the app. So now that police had Bailey's phone number, they called it and were able to get a hold of her. Bailey had told police that the last time she saw Sydney was on their second date, and Bailey had dropped Sydney off at a friend's house. Now, despite being the one to drop her off, Bailey said that she did not remember where this house was or what the name of the friend Sydney was going to see was. Now, even though that really gives police nothing to go off of that specific story, they knew pretty automatically that Bailey's original story was pretty much BS. And the reason that they knew that was because Sydney's phone last pinged from Bailey's apartment. Something that also rubbed police the wrong way was the fact that Bailey wasn't really willing to give police any basic information about herself. She got really uncomfortable on the phone and it just made them believe that Bailey 
was hiding something. And shortly after their phone call with Bailey, police learned through Sydney's friends that Bailey wasn't using her real name and that in fact she was using the alias Audrey Kane. And when they learned that, the red flags automatically went up. And on November 28, 2017, Aubrey and Bailey were officially named persons of interest in Sydney Loof's disappearance. Now, when Bailey and Aubrey were officially named as persons of interest in this case, they responded by going on a Facebook Live to, hopefully for them, clear their name. They went on this Facebook Live and they were praying for Sydney and her safe return and saying that they had nothing to do with it. And Bailey was repeating her story that she told to police about how she dropped Sydney off at a friend's house. And that was the story that they were sticking to. And at this point, police didn't have enough evidence on them to make an arrest officially. However, everything changed on November 30th. So just two days after they were officially named persons of interest because Bailey and Aubrey got arrested at a motel in Branson, Missouri for unrelated charges. However, they were arrested in Branson, Missouri. And when police did arrest them, they also collected a lot of their items, which included hiking boots and sleeping bags and a map and essentially police uncovered their plan which was to escape to Mexico. Now at this point in early December, police knew that the likelihood of Sydney coming home alive and safe was very slim. However, there always is that hope that you have that Sydney will be in that small statistic that will defy the odds and she will come home. However, their initial gut instincts were right. On December 4th of 2017, the police and the FBI found Sydney Loof's dismembered remains in trash bags alongside a gravel road one hour away from Wilbur, Nebraska. Sydney's body was completely dismembered, and to this day, her upper left arm is still missing. So at this point, police have recovered Sydney's remains and Aubrey and Bailey are in jail for unrelated charges. And when Aubrey learned that the police had found the remains, this is when he started talking and he made at least four or five contradicting confessions throughout all of this. In his first confession, Aubrey stated that he killed Sydney solely on his own and that Bailey had nothing to do with it. Aubrey said that he wished to get the death penalty for his actions. However, his story then changed. In his second story, he stated that Sydney was killed during a third date with Bailey on November 16th. Remember, the last time that anyone saw Sydney was November 15th. So now he's saying that there was a third date on the 16th, which police obviously knew was not the case. Now, in his third confession, Aubrey switched things up again. He told police that Bailey, Sydney, and himself were involved in a consensual three-way. However, Aubrey said that during that, he had choked Sydney and that things had gone too far and he accidentally killed her as a result. But then Aubrey switched it up again. So now we're on the fourth version of events of what he said happened. And I can almost promise you that this is not what you saw coming. 
Aubrey started telling police that part of his career is to make movies. However, these movies and films are dedicated specifically to the different types of kinks that people have. He explained that he would have clients that would pay him to record a sexual act while also acting out a specific kink of their choice. The client would pay for the movie, Aubrey would make the movie, and then Aubrey would give the movie back to the client. Aubrey stated that on the night with Sydney, when Bailey brought Sydney over to the apartment, Aubrey started telling Sydney about his movie making career, and Sydney was very, very intrigued by it. So Aubrey says. He said that Aubrey stated that Sydney offered to be in one of these movies where the kink of choice in this movie was choking. Aubrey claimed that Sydney was fully aware of the dangers of the movie that they were about to make and that he strangled Sydney with an electrical wire. Now, police at this point felt like they were being sent on a wild goose chase because Aubrey is changing his story every time they see him. He's throwing out all of these crazy accusations against Sydney, and they really didn't know what to believe. However, they knew that there had to be some truth to what Aubrey was saying because Aubrey wasn't lying to them completely. Aubrey had actually told police where Sydney's cell phone was, which was in a cemetery. And so police went to the cemetery and found the phone. So they knew that to a certain extent, Aubrey was telling them the truth, but he's also throwing out so many different versions of what he's saying happened that night, and they don't really know what to believe. Now, what we do know is that Sydney had asked Bailey before anything happened on their first date if they were going to be the only two people there. And remember how I said earlier, it was very ironic for her to ask something like that. So Sydney was under the impression that Aubrey was not going to be involved at all. It was only going to be the two of them. So she was misled from the very, very beginning. Now, both Aubrey and Bailey ended up being charged for first degree murder as well as improper disposal of human remains. Both pled not guilty and the trial was set to begin. However, in a court appearance right before the trial started, which was in July, Aubrey got incredibly angry in the court. He got so angry that he ended up standing up and screaming that Bailey was not responsible for any of this and that he wanted to be held responsible for his actions. He ended up getting so upset that he ended up taking a razor blade. How he got access to one, I am not sure, but he ended up taking a razor blade and stabbing himself in the throat in the courtroom. Now, he was able to recover from these injuries. However, during his recovery, it basically got him out of having to physically sit in the first half of his trial. However, after he did recover, he joined the trial physically later on. Now, when it came to the trial, the prosecution had some very, very damning evidence against Aubrey and Bailey. During the trial, they were able to figure out that around 11 a.m. on November 15th, so the day of the second date, Bailey and Aubrey went to an antique mall where they purchased a chainsaw, a weed whacker, and a food grinder. 
Based on phone records, they were also able to figure out that on the morning of the 15th, Bailey and Aubrey waited outside of Sydney's apartment and followed her to her work. So they were essentially stalking her. Now, while Sydney was working in the hardware store, Aubrey actually went into the store. But again, Sydney had not met Aubrey at this point, so she didn't know who she was looking at when he walked in. The night before, the first date was really just to earn some of Sydney's trust and to really just butter her up to get comfortable enough to go back to the apartment. So when Aubrey walked into the hardware store, Sydney had no idea about his connection to Bailey. Now, when Aubrey went into the hardware store, he purchased an air freshener, a cotton cord, protein bars, a thermometer, lighters, and Drano. Now, after Aubrey left the hardware store, him and Bailey were seen on surveillance footage at Home Depot, where they bought a hacksaw, utility knife, wire snips, drop clothes, and backup blades. So they are essentially purchasing an entire torture kit on the day of the 15th. And just hours before the murder, they were seen on surveillance buying Clorox and trash bags from a Dollar General store. Now, when it came to Aubrey's, you know, sex party kink movie theory that he claimed and how he stated that Sydney was an active participant and that she was, the whole thing was consensual, the prosecution was able to debunk that theory by stating that all of the sexual items that were found in the apartment, meaning the accessories, the toys, all of that, none of it had Sydney's DNA on it. Police also were never able to find the recording of this so-called movie that Aubrey was filming. Now in the trial, the prosecution also made it known to the public that this was not the first time that Bailey and Aubrey have done something like this before. In the trial, there were actually three different women who took the stand and claimed that they were involved with Bailey and Aubrey. Each of these three women claimed that Bailey and Aubrey wanted to start a movie making business where in the movies, they would murder people and sell the movies for money. These women claimed that Aubrey and Bailey were going to use pedophiles and sex offenders as the victims in these movies that they were going to kill. These women stated that Bailey and Aubrey were incredibly excited about this new business adventure of theirs and stated that they were going to make millions off of these videos. These women also talked about how Bailey and Aubrey had rules for them. It was very much so another dominant and submissive type of relationship where Aubrey was viewed as basically God, for lack of a better word in this case. He was put on this pedestal and everything that he said went and in return these women were making about 200 to 300 dollars a week so similar to bailey these women were also looking for that sugar daddy experience these women claimed that bailey and aubrey were very heavily involved in witchcraft and hypnosis and were using those so-called powers that they believed that they had for evil these women also claimed that aubrey told them that he was a vampire and that he could fly now, if you're sitting there wondering why on earth would these women stay if they were being told about this whole movie-making business with killing people and why would they stick around, they wouldn't. Once they heard about Aubrey and Bailey's plan to murder people, that's when the relationship would end and Bailey and Aubrey would then have to go out and find another person to join. 
Now, when it came to the defense, they tried to claim that this was simply just a situation of kinks gone wrong. They claimed that Sydney had a consensual sexual interaction with Bailey and Aubrey and that it went too far. The defense also tried to use the poor upbringing that Aubrey and Bailey had as somewhat as an excuse and how they never learned properly because of their childhood. Again, I always find that excuse to be very empty because how many people out there have had rough childhoods and how many go out and murder people? That's just a big leap to make. Now, the jury deliberated for several hours before reaching their verdict. The jury decided that both Bailey and Aubrey would be found guilty of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and improper disposal of human skeletal remains. Bailey was sentenced to life in prison without parole, and Aubrey was actually sentenced to death. And that is the case of Sidney Loof. And again, this case just breaks my heart because A, it just simply didn't need to happen, but B, Sydney went out of her way to make sure that she was taking all of the precautionary steps and being as safe as possible, telling her friends where she was going, giving the phone number, trying to do everything right, and this still happened. But luckily, Aubrey and Bailey will not be able to do this to anyone else. I am very interested to hear what you guys have to say about this case, what you think about the sentencing, what you think about all of the theories, and what you think actually happened. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and again, every Thursday on YouTube as well. And you're not gonna wanna miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.